Hey, stay standing a moment. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this moment to be here. God, I, I pray for the students going this week and the leaders going to CLI this week. We just pray a blessing over them, that your hand would be on them, that the Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, would speak directly to each of these students, each of these leaders going, help them to hear your voice louder and more clearly than they've ever heard it in their lives. And I pray that there would be students and leaders that come out of this week that would be changed. And because of what they hear from you, they would go and, and bring the gospel, bring the good news, bring hope, bring healing to people in their lives and around the world. We pray that this would just spread throughout the world, that the message would move and bring hope and healing to others. God, right now I pray for this room, everyone here today, the word that you have for us uh, about marriage, about singleness, about sex, and, and what that looks like to live in holiness according to your plan. We love you, Father. Prepare our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and receive what you got for us today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, now you can sit. All right, church. We've been going through 1 Corinthians. If you've been missing any of it, if you wanna go catch up, you can catch up on YouTube or we got podcasts now, thanks to our guy, Nevin. He's, on, he's got us on Spotify and all kinds of stuff. Thanks, Nevin. Thanks for doing that. Um, but man, we're, we value the Word of God here. And so some of you, you know, you've been with us this year. We've been going through 1 Corinthians. Uh, we took a slight break a while back, but we're back in it. We've been going through. Some of you, for a few of you, it's like, man, we, we're not going slow enough. Uh, some of you, you're like, wow, we haven't gotten past chapter 6 in a month. We're, we're on chapter 7 today, all right? I told you. We're going to get there, okay? It's just some of it, yeah, I mean, some of it, there's so many things where, I mean, there's just moments where God just kind of lays it on you, and Scripture isn't just, man, let's just read through, you know, from front to back, and let's just, you know, get it done. No, 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 His Word is living and active, and there's things He wants to do through His Word in your life that sometimes you just need to sit with one word or one verse and just meditate on it, chew on it. Let it change you. Stop trying to get from point A all the way to you know, Z at the end and just, man, let his word speak into your life. That's one thing we want you to know. Here at Revival, we, we really believe through the word and through the Holy Spirit, he wants to speak directly into your life. So today, as we're talking about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, one of our things from the very beginning of the birth of revival was we want to bring revival directly into people's lives, into their relationships, into their families. And so we're going to talk about things that Scripture talks about. And one of these things that we're going to talk about today, uh, I, I, we, you know, we prayed about it just right now. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about marriage. And we're going to talk about singleness because God cares about all of these things. And so sometimes, you know, we tend to avoid hard or uncomfortable or awkward topics. Uh, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does not stray away. Okay? So we're going to dive right in. Chapter 7, verse 1. And when we, when we talk about this, we really believe, like, there is a tangible difference like a weighty difference when you follow God's word compared to what the world says. 
In fact, I, I just saw this the other day, uh, but there, there's this old stat, and it's been going around for, I don't know, five, ten years now. Uh, my guess is it's still relevant today, but the divorce rate is one out of two, okay? One out of two marriages end in divorce, 50%. That's high, okay? But for couples that read the Bible together, that go to church together and pray together, do things that the Bible says that they should do together, all of a sudden, that stat goes to one out of every 1,032 end in divorce. There is a tangible difference when you live by God's word. There's a tangible difference. So here at Revival, we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna preach about it, we're, we're gonna tell you what God's word says. And, and so I, I say that too because we're gonna get to this verse, but there's one verse in here, let me find it really quick for you. Uh, verse 10, 1 Corinthians seven ten. Uh, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. Okay, I, I say that a lot here. Because there, there's times that you're going to hear something and it's going to make you mad or upset or angry. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing Paul does. It, it's not from me. It's from him. Okay? You could be mad at me, but really, it, it's his word. All I'm doing, I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. All right? Okay? So if you hear something today, don't forget. It, it's not from Alex. It's not from Paul. It's from the Lord. This is his word. Okay. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter... So the Corinthian church, they had sent a letter to Paul, okay? Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, especially in Corinth, especially in the, in the West today, in America, this is still relevant, but because there is so much sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Now, now some people in the church were kind of asking Paul, you know, should we just abstain completely from sex? And that's what Paul is saying. Uh, it, it, it's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a good thing. But because of the temptation of sexual morality, sex outside of marriage, that's, if you're not sure about what's the definition, what's the biblical definition of sexual immorality? It is sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Really clear. Like, it is very well defined as you go through Scripture and you go through the words of Jesus, Paul, Peter, everyone, okay? The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Okay, right here, right off the bat, um, Man, this idea of authority and submission is a difficult one, right? We, once again, we've been talking about this. We, we live in America. We're, we're free, right? We're, our individual, our personal freedom, it, it's an idol. And so when somebody tells us that we need to submit to somebody else's authority or we, we are to serve somebody else, there's something inside of us internally that goes off and it's kind of like an alarm ringing and we're like, nope. Don't want to do that. That sounds awful. I'm not, I, I hate to submit. I won't do it. When I was in high school youth group, um, <laughs> this is a different era, you know, a long time ago. We would do, uh, I'm not saying, you know, this is going to happen this week with Stone. Stone's a much more mature, responsible youth pastor than the one I had. But when I was in high school youth group, 
we would do like, UFC was kind of getting big at the time, and so we would do like fight nights, like at CIY every night. And it was like, you know, make, you had to make the other guy tap out, make the other guy submit. And so, I mean, we had guys that were literally like, I mean, they would rather turn blue and get choked out than actually tap and submit. Okay, we, we had that. Our, our youth pastor, he was at least responsible enough to stop some of those fights. Okay, he at least stepped in, you know, before the kid actually passed out. Some of you are like, wow, this is really shaky. I know, I know. We don't do that stuff anymore, guys, all right? We've really, you know, youth ministry's come a long way. Okay, so we hate this idea of submission and authority. But here's what he says. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority. It's the wife's choice as a believer to give authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. This would have just blown people's minds in this culture. Because in this culture, it was uh, women were, they, they were second tier. They were below men. The idea that the husband should also give and submit their body over to their wives, that, that was a foreign concept to these people. It, it, it is an equal submission and servanthood that goes on in the Christian marriage. It, it's an equal partnership. You start to see that as we go on, where you choose to submit and serve the other. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Some of you in here are like, that sounds awful. No, no, no. It's a great thing, all right? It's a great thing. Afterward, you, and we're talking about everything today, all right? That's why, that's why Steph, you know, she's not here today. She was like, she gets too awkward talking about sex. She had to leave. No, she had something today. Uh, afterward, you should come together. She's going to watch this, you know, listen to the sermon later and be like, I hate you so much. <laughs> afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Uh, once again, this is a united decision as a married couple to do this. It's uh, uh, in symphony is like the Greek word that's used there. It's where we get symphony today, uh, in harmony. And you make this decision together to refrain for a time, and you set the time. You don't just say, hey, we're going to you know, refrain for however long. No, no, no. You set the time, and you say, during this time, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, this word I, I think is really interesting. Uh, in the Greek, it's skalazo, okay? Uh, I, I, that sounds more Italian the way I say it, but that, skalazo, okay? Uh, to be at leisure, to devote oneself to. And, and so this one, this is actually where we get the word school. And some of you are thinking, how did we get the word school from a word that means leisure? I have no idea. It makes zero sense. I, I get that part. Uh, I don't, I get the devote oneself to, but I don't get the at leisure part. But what it's saying is that you, you devote yourself so at leisure you have time that you can just be in the presence of God in prayer. Be in community with him. Like, 
one of the most valuable things I've learned this past year that I never really practiced as a believer before was to just sit in silence in the presence of God. And so to just sit there and to not read, to not write, to not move, to let my brain finally kind of empty itself out, that doesn't take too long. Uh, just, <laughs> you laughed way too hard at that, right? <laughs> Dang, all right. I'm calling you out, Jackie, all right? <laughs> but to sit in the presence of God and to just be and not worry about do. Once again, the American church, we're all about doing, we're all about accomplishing, we're all about, man, what, what did we check off today? And sometimes we even start to build this resume of things that we've done for God. Look, look how many times I've served this month. Look how many times, look how much money I've given this, you know, this month or this pay period. Look what I've done, look what I've done. And sometimes God's just up there saying, I, I just want you to be with me. I just want you to be present with me. And if you're married, once again, same concept. Take the concepts that God has for our relationship with him, use them in your marriage. Because what, what does God want you to do? He, he wants you to sit in silence and just learn to listen to his voice. Some of you in here, your spouse is just longing for you to just sit with her or sit with him and be present, to take your phone and hide it for an hour, to, to, to just turn off the TV, to send the kids out back, but to just sit in each other's presence and be with each other. It's great to do for the other. It's great to serve the other but sometimes we get so caught up in that, we forget to just be with them and love being in their presence. And some of you, you know this. Because when you were first dating, you just wanted to be near them. Or, or maybe when you weren't even dating, just when you were some, you know, creepy guy following a girl down the hall at college. And you're just like, you just wanted to be near her. It's a little weird, right? You know, it worked out, I guess. You're married today. Good. Uh, you just want to be in each other's presence. God wants that between us and him. He just wants you to be with him. At leisure. I, I love that part of the word. Like just turning off the world and just relaxing leisurely with the Father. That will start to change your life more than anything else in this world. When you start to just find that moment when you can carve it out, whether it's you know, in the early morning when the sun's coming up or maybe later in the evening and everybody's you know, down for the night and you just have a moment to just sit in that silence and enjoy being in his presence and learning to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit still speaks actively today. And he, man, he's just waiting for you to quiet the world so you can hear his voice again. That's what I love about CIY. CIY, when, when kids go there, it's one of the first times that they finally get away from some of the distractions. They get away from some of the noise. They get away from some of the friend groups that have been pulling at them and distracting them in this world. 
And they finally just have these moments where they just sit in his presence. And and some of you, you might come away from one of those quiet times and you might think, well, I I didn't accomplish anything. I didn't even get, you know, new revelation or I didn't hear some direct word from God. And, you know, I I really wanted to get something like a a prophetic word from him. And and you know this is true because in, in some of your best friendships in this world, you don't accomplish anything when you have the best time together. When you're just with each other, you're just having fun. You weren't like trying to accomplish something. You weren't trying to do something. You weren't trying to check something off a list. You were just with each other. God wants that with us also. He just wants to be with us at leisure. So if you're married and you both agree, you both come to the table and you feel good about this and and husbands, wives, like don't lie to each other, all right? Don't, don't just hold something in because you think the spouse, you know, wants to hear this from you. Like, oh, I better say yes. Like that, that's called false peace. We talk about this a lot here at Revival. Don't just keep the peace, but we are peacemakers. And so that means being honest and ripping, stripping ourselves of our false self and being honest. And so, man, Husbands, you might come to the table and be like, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Just be honest, all right? But maybe you start to come to a compromise and you say, let's try a day. Let's try to refrain for a day and just instead of spending that time with each other, we just spend it, each of us, with the Lord. Not on our cell phone. Not reading, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy. That's not a book. Never mind. You know. (laughs) Not, not distracted, not distracted, but actually in the presence of God. That's what he wants to teach us through these times. So give yourselves more completely to prayer. Learn, even if it's just a day, come together, set that time as a couple and say, hey, for this day or for these you know, three days, this week, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna devote ourselves at leisure to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's okay to admit that you don't have self-control in that area. God wants to develop self-control for you in that area, okay? He, he wants to work and refine that in you, but it's a process. So, some of you as believers, uh, you, you think, man, I, I got saved, you know, when I was 20 or when I was 15, and I... I thought, you know, self-control would just come, you know, the second I got out of the water. It's a process that he is building and refining in you. Satan wants to beat you up over that, by the way, also. Like, like, let's talk about porn for a second, okay? Porn, 70% of men in the church struggle with porn. Let's just be honest about that. And now women, that number is starting to rise also. Last I saw, it was somewhere in that 35, getting closer to 40% range of women also struggling with that temptation. But this is a temptation where we don't talk about it because it's uncomfortable and we don't deal with it and we just pretend that everybody in the church, we're, you know, as believers, we're all okay, we got it figured out, I'm good, I don't need help in that area. That's other people, that's their problem. They're, they're the sinners, No, 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 we're all sinners. We're all broken. That's why, once again, at Revival, we talk about this a lot. 
We all need to come to the table on Sundays with this heart of repentance before anything else. When we walk in the door, we repent. When we sit down, we repent. When we worship, we actively choose to repent. When we put our hands in the air and we choose to worship him, we are fighting against our old self and the direction we've been heading, and we are turning back towards him, repenting and turning to the Father who loves us and his grace is sufficient for us. And his grace is what begins to empower us to fight against these temptations. And so because we've made this something where we don't talk about it, we don't deal with it, we ignore it, and we just kind of left it in the dark, people feel like they are alone. Guess what, 70%, that, that's just the percentage of these people that actually admitted to it. My guess is it's higher. Because there's still that percentage that's holding out and saying, no, I mean, it was last year or, you know, a month ago. You know, there's, there's people that justify it and say, no, no, I got it under control. But a month later, Satan's right back at their door tempting them again. That's what he does. He comes after believers. He wants to trip you up, especially in marriage. He wants to attack what God has created to be good. He wants to distort it. He wants to violate it. He wants to come after to steal, kill, and destroy. And so because we've left some of this stuff in the dark, we just kind of leave it there and don't talk about it, and we don't ever find the help that we need. When you start to bring it into the light, when you find people that you can actually talk openly with about your struggles, about your temptation, that's when all of a sudden he starts to build up in you a new type of strength that you didn't know you had. Because now all of a sudden when you know you're not alone fighting this battle, it gives you strength to move forward together in it. There's this great thing, uh, it's called uh, Men of Integrity. And uh, it's a group for men. And they, they meet out of Christ's community. Uh, but man, this is a group of men that are following after Jesus. And they meet because they want to encourage each other and build each other up in fighting against this temptation of porn in their lives. Because they desire, they desire to defeat the enemy and his temptations in their life. They desire to follow after God and his word. And so you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to come. You can't, you don't feel like you have to have everything together when you come into worship on a Sunday. It's okay to admit that we are broken, but we're getting better every day. It's okay to admit that we are broken and hurt and that we struggle, but he is redeeming us and he is transforming us. And guess what? You won't have it all together until one second after you die. When you get to heaven, guess what? That day, then you'll have it all together. Jesus, all right, he'll take care of it then. But until that day comes, it's just a struggle to get better and follow after him one day at a time. To learn to obey and listen to his voice more and more. To love what he loves and to hate what he hates. But don't let the enemy say, oh, man, you have to have it all together to be in relationship with the Father. No, no, no. You just have to have a repentant heart. That was the difference between Saul and David. When Saul fell, he didn't repent. He tried to cover it up. When David fell and was confronted with it, he repented. 
He knew in the moment he had sinned against the Father and against those around him in his life. But he turned back to the Father. So, Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. This is Paul. He was single. We don't, we don't know what his status was. Uh, there's some great theories out there. Uh, one was that possibly he was married because for a Jewish rabbi to not be married would have been very uncommon in that day. And so some scholars speculate that he was married, but when he became a Christian, his Jewish wife said, peace, I'm out of here, and went back to her family. Which, as we go on and read about some of the things Paul digs in on, on marriage and believers and non-believers being yoked together, what that looks like, you can kind of see there, there might be some truth to Paul actually having lived through that. But whatever the situation is, we, we don't know for sure, but Paul says... It is better, it is better, I'm just going to say better, better until I find my spot again, all right? But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife, okay? Oh, I just found it. It was a verse right before that. Verse 9, Okay? But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust, okay? Paul, he says it. He admits it. it it's a concession, okay? He says, I, I would encourage you to remain unmarried, but if you need to get married, go ahead and do it. That's awesome. It's great. It's not a, he, he's not against it. It's not a command. That's what he's saying. He separates the commands of the Lord from his own opinion here. His idea, and he says it is better. And I, I would tell you uh, from experience, it's easier to follow after God and to listen to his voice when you're on your own. It, it might be lonely, it might be hard. There's different struggles, but singleness is not a burden or a curse. Sometimes the church, we look at singleness and we say, man, that's a burden. Oh, we just need to help, you know, set that nice person up with this nice person over here. Then they'd be happy. No, 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 no. You can be happy and joyful and content in every season, whether single or married, whatever it is, you can choose to follow after him and be content in that season. And in fact, Paul does say, if you can be unmarried, he says it's a gift. Charisma is the word. He, he says it's a gift. That's what that word meant. Uh, Paul talks a lot about these gifts, spiritual gifts. But he says it is a gift, the gift of singleness. It is charisma. And so when I look at my own life, I, I, I can tell you personally, I know for a fact that when I was single and I was doing youth ministry, man, I mean, ministry was easy. It was cake. Like all, all of a sudden, you know, and Steph, she would tell you the same thing, all right? She'd be like, I was, you know, killing it. She was like, I was killing it in ministry. Then I married you. You slowed me down. You know, I, I know, all right? It's different challenges when you come together. Because all of a sudden, you're one flesh. And so, maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but when you're one flesh, like by yourself, and you're learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, guess what? If the Holy Spirit, if this is you, like 
just draw a circle around me, and put a bunch of X's in there. And all the X's represent what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit, what I'm learning through reading his word, what I'm hearing from his voice. All these X's represent that. Steph, she's standing over here. She's got the same circle. There's a bunch of X's in there, what she's hearing from the Holy Spirit, what she's discerning, what she's learning through God's word. All of a sudden, when we come together in marriage, we now share a circle, okay? And then you split that circle in half, and and one of us is hearing, you know, some things over here, and one of us is hearing some things over here. It is a complicated process to learn how to discern the Spirit's voice in unity with your spouse. We will testify to that. This past year has been complicated in starting to come to this understanding and realizing we both are hearing and learning and growing in our faith. And so even in starting this church, we had to learn how to discern his voice from the voice of fear, from the voice of the world, from the the spirits that tried to pull us away from stepping into what God had for us. And so it, it is a different type of struggle or complication in learning to discern the Holy Spirit's voice in marriage, in unity. Paul is saying here, in singleness, man, it, he's like, it's just me. Like, I, you know, Paul is like, he's like I, I love it. And Paul is kind of brazen and, you know, cocky, arrogant. I mean, whatever you want to call it. But he's just saying, hey, it's better, it's easier, but that's just my opinion. I'm not commanding it, okay? So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, verse nine, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. We said that at the very beginning. I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave his wife. Once you're in it, you're in it. Once you're in it, you're in it. And understand that when you go into marriage, when you go into this union, You make a choice before you even step into it because it's a covenant and you're saying, we're in this together. All the way, we're gonna see it through to the end. Through the good, through the bad, through it all. And so then that means learning to live in submission to each other. Hupatasso. That's that word for uh, to be subject to, to obey, to be in submission to. And in marriage, uh, Paul talks about this. Peter talks about it. It's used often. It's used in 1 Peter. It's used in Ephesians. In fact, as we close out here, worship team, you guys can come up. We'll get ready to close out here. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Spirit-guided relationships for wives and husbands. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. There is equal submission. There is equal servitude in marriage. There is sacrifice between both. This was revolutionary at the time. Because at the time, it was just, wives, you serve your husbands, don't say anything, do whatever they tell you. That was it. It looked more like slavery than equality. Jesus and the apostles' teaching, when you read through it, it revolutionized marriage. Submitting out of reverence for Christ because when we submit, it's one of the hardest things for us to do whether it's our boss or whether it's our wife or our husband, it, it has to be a choice that we make. And so in marriage, we choose to trust God's word and say that I'm gonna submit and I'm gonna serve because I trust that he's a good father and what he has established in his word for marriage is a better way to live than anything I could come up with on my own. And like I said in the very beginning, when you look at the rest of the world, it's easy to see what the rest of the world is doing, what they're trying, what they want to make work because this is what is popular, this is what is trendy. It's not working. But when you go to the Word and you start to serve each other and love each other the way Christ intended, it transforms your marriage. He wants to bring revival into every relationship in our lives. It's just unnatural to us the way he wants to do it. He does it through submission. There is freedom in submission. To die to yourself, to lay your life down and serve that other person, it will transform your relationship. Some of you, your other person's not even here today. They're not here. You're sitting here and you're like, he needs to be here to hear this. She needs to be here to hear this. Go home and start to die to yourself. They'll hear that message. They'll see that message. It will start to transform them. And the way you live and the way you choose to serve and love the way Christ loves. They'll get that word into their hearts. Because too often we just want to fix and point out what's wrong with the other person. But really, what's the Holy Spirit saying? Look inward first. Die to yourself and learn to serve. That's going to revive that relationship. That's going to bring revival in your home. That's going to bring revival in every aspect of your life when you learn to die to yourself. Let's pray.
God, we just invite you into this moment of worship. And, and, and I pray as we stand uh, that we would just stand in honor and glory of you, that we would choose to worship you, that we would choose to die to ourselves to serve you with all of our lives. And I pray for revival in our relationships. I pray for revival in our, in our stage of singleness for those, of, uh, for those people that are in that stage right now, that you would revive their hearts to step into this season of singleness and to live fully for you and to devote themselves to your kingdom and just see how that submission to your word and that trust in this gift of singleness transforms people around them. God, I pray that this would be a church that helps bring healing and transformation to people's lives, that brings revival and renewal into things and areas that people thought were dead and buried. God, let those dry bones rise again and worship you with everything we have. In your name we pray, amen.